The English poet and scholar Thomas Gray of the 1700s coined this phrase, brothers, ignorance is bliss. It means that a lack of knowledge equals an absence of concern. So if I, if, if I don't know about it, well, then I'm not accountable for it. Ignorance is bliss. Uh, many conveniently choose to ascribe to this, but according to the word of God, brothers, a Christian husband is forbidden from doing so. As a Christian husband, you and I are forbidden from ascribing to the philosophy that ignorance is bliss. And out of the gate, the word of God confirms this in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I want to establish this up front for us, brothers. What is troubling many Christian marriages are ignorant husbands. This is troubling many marriages, brothers. Ignorant husbands. Instead of dwelling with our wives according to knowledge, we are dwelling with them according to ignorance. Ignorance means not to know. So when it comes to the role of husband, brothers, ignorance is not bliss. <laughs> Far from it. It is very detrimental to a marriage because a husband who is dwelling with his wife according to ignorance, listen, cannot and will not love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He can't. Often, though, the expositional focus on dwelling with our wives according to knowledge, it seems to start and stop with knowing her. And that is absolutely true, but it's just not complete. So there are some critical observations that we need to discuss before we get to that point. And they are as critical as that one. Dwelling with our wives according to knowledge begins with the very first word in verse 7, likewise. This is critical. So our context makes it clear that Peter is still dealing with this issue of being under authority. He started that way in verse 1 to the wives, and he's continuing that. He's going to wrap it up here to us as husbands, but... It's the same word, it's likewise. This means that, this is critical, a husband must know that he is also under authority. As a husband, that is knowledge that you must have. You and I as husbands are also under authority. Hear this, some Husbands do not take being in subjection to Christ as serious as they take their wives being in subjection to them. This is a subtle thing, but this is where more than a few husbands are. 
Husbands like this, they will demand submission from their wives, but routinely they will live in outright rebellion to the Lord himself. But oh my goodness, she better submit to me because she's under authority, but I'm not. This is dangerous. In his mind, because he is the head, he concludes that somehow he gets a pass on being under authority. Well, I'm the head of the house, I'm the head of the wife, and so I answer to no one, but she answers to me. This is hypocrisy, fine hypocrisy, that is, and it's biblically immature. A man who thinks like that is simply declaring that he's spiritually a baby, that he doesn't know his Bible, that he's not a biblicist. He's a carnal monster. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. And I want you to underline this word, brothers, but I would have you look, look at it. What is it? No. Paul says, I want you to know this. What is it, Paul? That the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So if Paul wants us to know, brothers, that Christ is our head, then ignorance can't be bliss about this. Ignorance can't be bliss regarding you being under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, you must know this. Every husband must know that he answers to Christ, which means, brothers, ultimately, you are not the ultimate and final authority in your home. It is good to say this, and it is good for you to hear it. It is good for me to hear it. Listen, I do not as a husband, nor do you as a husband, have or possess unlimited authority in your home. You are not God. <laughs> and some husbands get confused about this. They march and stomp around the house as if they are God himself. You do not have unlimited authority. You do not. And all of this is reinforced in a very familiar verse, John 3.30, Notice the emphaticism. He must increase, but I must decrease. Brothers, only one of two things are happening in your home right now. Only one of two things are happening. Either Christ is increasing and you are decreasing, or you are increasing and Christ is decreasing. Only one of those are actually happening in your home right now. Either Christ is increasing and you are decreasing, or you are increasing and he's decreasing. If he is decreasing because you are increasing, that means that you are a carnal, selfish, immature, self-absorbed, 
monster. And your wife is absolutely miserable because you are miserable. You are intolerable, unbearable, impossible because the stench of your carnality is suffocating her and grieving God's spirit in the home. Listen, Christ is preeminent, not you or me. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that in all things, not some things, but in all things, he might have the what? Preeminence. That includes the home. It is true that a husband is the head of the wife, but the Bible is clear that that headship is based on, and it must resemble Christ. Husbands, you are to be the closest resemblance to the Lord Jesus Christ that your wife sees day in and day out. You never get to behave however you want. You never get to deal with your wife any way that you want to because of your position. No, everything that you do, listen, because a husband is under the authority of Christ, his treatment of his wife, listen, must agree with Christ. How you treat your bride, because you are under the authority of Christ, it must agree with him. I've shared this before. I'll share it again. It was about the five-year mark of our marriage, and I was becoming critical of my wife, and I was frustrated about some things, and and in my mind, I had this running, growing list, and it was, it was growing by the day. You know, when is she going to figure this out, and how long is it going to take for her to work this out, and haven't I talked to her about this, and haven't I showed her that, and why isn't this changing, and why is, it, why is this still here? And I will never forget God dealing with me in a way where I was trembling, where the Lord let me know that, son, I care as much about how you think about her as I do what you say to her and how you physically treat her. Your very thoughts about Lori must agree with me. How you think about her, the thoughts you entertain about her, can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer is no. So how can I walk with the Lord where he says, I love her, I delight in her. When I see her, I see myself. But when you see her, what you see is you see all the disappointments, all the things that you're not pleased with. She's not meeting your expectations. God says, we had a problem here. We're not agreed. 
one of the courses I took in the Shepherd School of Ministry was marriage and family. Some of you may have taken that. It, it resonated with me very, very deeply. I wasn't even married at the time. I didn't even know that Lori Morgan or Lori Jane at the time didn't know she even existed. But there was just so much gold and I just felt like God was preparing me. But one of the strongest points that was made, I'll never forget it. The instructor said this. He said, the biggest problem in marriage, it's lordship. The biggest problem in marriage is lordship. He was right. For some Christian husbands, Jesus is not Lord. He's your Savior, but he's not Lord. And because he's not Lord, you are ignorantly operating out from under his authority. You have become preeminent in the home, not him. You are lording over her. You've taken the position of Christ in her life in an arrogant way. And so if we're talking about dwelling with our wives according to knowledge, that's where it starts. We too are under authority. Next, a husband must know where he is to dwell. This phrase, dwell with, it means reside together. Consider Genesis 2:24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Sadly, and I've seen this enough over the years, but there are a number of husbands who have not reconciled this, and that is a husband's presence is to be anchored in the home with his wife. Your presence, your physical, emotional, social, spiritual presence is to be anchored in the home with your wife. That is the heart of the leave and cleave philosophy. As a man, your presence is not to be anchored in any other home. You've left your home and every other home, and you're cleaving to this one now with your wife. It's one thing to be a caregiver to aging parents, or if you have a situation like that, that's biblical, that's honorable. Your wife can actually help you with that. That's a very good thing. But it's another thing to visit your parents often and be on the phone with them and texting them every day, all day. That says you haven't left. You haven't. And there are some wives, I've heard these stories, there are some wives that just, they want to love their mother-in-law, but they're envious. They're like, I wish he would be this vested. I wish he would be this interested. I wish he would be this given to the home that he shares with me. 
But every time I turn around, he's at your place and he's talking to you and texting and he hasn't let go. This is tough. Or some men are anchored with activities away from home or working very long hours. I mean, you're not anchored. Your presence is not there. You're not settled. Whatever the reason, the message that your wife is getting is that you do not want to be home with her any more than you have to be. You come home to sleep and eat and shower and you're right back out. Brothers, when our presence is anchored in the home, it becomes obvious to our wives that to us, there's no place like home. There's no place I'd rather be. I have shared this with you guys a number of times, and and I'm okay with this. It's something the Lord has to constantly work me through, and I'm thankful for his grace and his mercy and his long-suffering toward me. I, I really am. But if I never took another trip, I'd be okay with that. So let me, let me just say how pastors, how pastors roll. Um, Pastors typically just don't pick up the phone or text you or email you just to chat. So I know when I get a text from a pastor in another state or whatever, I I know what's coming. Can you, will you come and do X, Y, and Z? And in that moment, the battle starts. Is there any way out of this? How can I say no? Lord, surely surely I'm going to be booked that time. I look at my calendar, wide open. (laughs) Man, ask Brandon, ask Sam, ask anybody, not me. And I remember when I went to Alabama a couple weeks ago, we went to dinner before I left, and my poor family, I was a mess. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't talking. I wasn't saying, my head was down, I was so sad. And again, that, that doesn't make me husband of the year. I'm just saying, guys, there is no place like home. You want to be there because you want to be, not because you have to be. And that brings us to this, a husband must know his wife. Now we can deal with this. The root of knowledge is the word know, which is to perceive with certainty. Uh, Listen, (laughs) uh, too many husbands, if you're immature, uh, what you're doing when it comes to your wife is you're taking an educated guess approach because you really don't know her. You're throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it sticks. Genesis 4.1, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. I'll give you the uh, KPM 
version of that, Kenny Preston, Kenneth Preston Morgan version of that, uh, Adam and Eve were uh, more than roommates. That's funny. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? When Adam knew his wife, they, 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 were, they were more than roommates. Okay, but, sorry. Did anybody get it the first time? Anybody, please tell me. Did you get it, Mark? But you, did you laugh? Inside? <laughs> was, it, was it that dry and corny? Oh, give me a break, man. That was great. <laughs> I thought it was. Wow. Okay. Back to my notes. I do think it's interesting that the Bible associates sexual intimacy with the word new which is the past tense of the word no. Brothers, here we go, this is big. Okay, I need you to really lock in here. A man is failing to dwell with his wife according to knowledge if the only time she knows him is in bed. You are failing to dwell with her according to knowledge if the only time she knows you is in bed. If that is the extent of your intimacy with her, listen very carefully. She may not articulate this the way that I'm going to, but I promise you, if this is where she's at, she will agree with me inside. If the extent of your intimacy with her is the bed, then in her heart and in her mind, she is essentially a concubine to you. And that's not a good thing. In the Old Testament, concubines essentially held the rank of an inferior wife, less than, and they were kept, you ready? Essentially, they were kept for lewd purposes. They were basically a glorified mistress. In other words, they were primarily possessions of pleasure. And the men who kept them loved what they provided, but listen very carefully, they did not love them. I mean, come on. Every man knows that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? We all know this. I promise you, he, again, this is just my, this is an educated guess. I doubt that he knew 5% of their names. I would imagine that a, a great majority of them never actually spent time with him. If your wife feels like that, she's hurting and the spirit is grieved. Brothers, if a man is to know his wife, he's going to master these four things. He's going to pursue her socially. 
He's going to pursue her socially. A lot of men don't understand how much their wives long to know them socially. Your wife wants to know you. She really wants to be your friend. She wants to connect with you at a social level. Uh, Proverbs 18.24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. For some wives, they struggle to watch their husbands, listen, with ease, show himself friendly to others. Uh, She watches you get excited when you see someone. She watches you text back and forth with your friend. Like, I have a guy I used to work with, and every Chiefs game, he and I are texting the whole time. Jason and I will do that. I mean, it's back and forth. And you know what? If I'm honest, I look forward to it. It's like, hey, not only do I get to watch the Chiefs game, but I get to hang out with my buddy Steve. Man, did you see that? What are they thinking? Who caught it? That's a dumb play call, and on and on and on and on. I mean, we're, I mean, probably 70 texts within a three-hour game. But when it comes to her, your disposition seems cold and distant. You seem so disinterested. Your communication toward her and with her is so businesslike, so direct, so to the point, in and out. It's not jovial and social like it is with others. She notices how you can spend an entire day, an entire day, at home with her, several hours, and there's no communication. It's like she's invisible to you. You walk past her, she walks past you, you're in the kitchen, she's in the kitchen. And brothers, let me just, let me just, again, I'm not the love doctor or the love expert, but, but I've you know, been married for about 20 years now, and boy, let me tell you what's really insulting and degrading and humiliating and so very difficult for your wife is when she's been in the home with you all day and you've said two words to her, but you crawl into bed and you make it known that you want intimacy. (laughs) Wow. I wasn't sure if you remember my name. (laughs) In that moment, in her estimation, she could be anybody. (laughs) You just need a warm body to meet your need.
we're adults here. I'll say this. One of the things that my wife taught me, praise the Lord, um, I'll just give you the unedited version. But she used to remind me, sex starts in the morning for her. And it lasts all day. And I'm like, great. (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Wow, I mean, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, That's not what she meant, brothers. The ladies knew exactly what she meant, don't you? If you knew, can you say amen, ladies? No, it's, it's when I see her in the kitchen and I bring her her coffee and I say good morning to her. How'd you sleep last night? How you feeling this morning? Is there anything I can help you with today? That's intimacy for her. Brothers, the message that some of us are sending to our wives is, and boy, this is deadly. I could take you or leave you. You go, man, I'm not saying that. Not verbally, you're not. But your nonverbal communication is communicating that. Listen, in marriage, brothers, we are always communicating to our wives. Verbally and nonverbally. A husband who knows his wife, listen, will win her emotionally. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. One of the phrases that I only hear women say, this is one of the reasons I asked that question when I first started this morning. How many ladies are going to the bake night at the White's, okay? And all the hands go up, right? So they're just things that women do, and their value system is a little different than ours. There's things that they're going to value that we don't value, and that's okay. But here we go. One of the phrases that we hear women say, and it goes something like this, oh, that's so sweet. We don't say that, ladies. Now, as close as we'll get, I've heard Mark say this, we'll go, Sweet. Like, that means something's good, or right? And it means the same thing for you, but, 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 but we don't do the sappy, aw, and all that, right? We, we, we don't do that. But that statement is expressive of something touching their heart. Brothers, one of the ways that you win your wife emotionally, listen, is with pleasant words. You want to touch her heart? You want to win her heart? Pleasant words. They are sweet to her soul and they are health to her bones. Listen, they infuse, they infuse emotional life into her. But the opposite of pleasant is unpleasant and the opposite of sweet is sour. And for some of you, brothers, listen, your speech and your tone and your communication is at times as cold as a freezer. 
and your communication style, it comes across gruff and hard. And listen, slowly it starts to beat her down. It starts to beat her into the ground. Just your your gruff manner and just... Just over and over, it's just nasty and awful and unpleasant and sour and negative and draining. (laughs) And here's what I've noticed over time after a wife becomes conditioned to that. Her joy begins to fade and like a falling star, her countenance begins to sink. Because she's just worn out by your murmuring and complaining and whining and everything is awful and everything is wrong and everything is negative and, and you didn't do that right and you didn't fix this over here and you missed that and this over here and this is wrong and <sighs> oh can I tell you one of the hardest things to see in ministry? This is a nightmare. I've seen women, single, loving the Lord, serving the Lord, full of joy and faithfulness and excitement and energy. I mean, man, they are, God is using them and and life couldn't be better. Yeah, they're trusting God for a husband, but but until then, I'm just going to keep serving the Lord. Their countenance is healthy and vibrant and strong and enthusiastic and encouraging and edifying, and then they marry you. And you look at her countenance, and it's like every time you see her, she's leaving a funeral. Because you have beat and drained the emotional life out of her. And guess what happens? Over time, she starts to sound like you. Gruff, negative, sour, complaining, Husbands, make your speech pleasant. Do not speak harshly to her. I have, (laughs) we're going to get to this next week, but brothers, they're not built like that emotionally. Lori, okay, let's just be, Okay, maybe I'm in rare form this morning. Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. But if, like you've seen the show The Amazing Race, that'll test a marriage, won't it? (laughs) You've seen that show. Okay, if, if me, Jason, John, and Mark, and Jeff are on that show together, and we're competing, and Mark is acting like an idiot, or he does something stupid, I'm like, Mark, what are you doing, man? Come on, let's go. Get your act together. He'd be hurt by that for a moment. But he'd get over it. 
and we patch it up and we're good, right? Lori, come on, let's go. Come on, come, what are you doing, girl? You're slowing us down. It's over. <laughs> not only am I slowing her down, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they cannot handle that. That harsh tone like that. Emotionally, she's not built for that. Be complimentary of her physical attributes. I won't give any examples, but uh, there are some buttons that uh, do it for me. <laughs> there are some things about you, baby. I'm talking, wow. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll never forget this. Here we go. We're married, right? We're adults. Here we go. So Lori's in the kitchen one day, and I walk up behind her, and I'm, I'm enjoying my wife. I'm flirting, and I'm doing some things, and my kids are there, and my son goes, dead serious, he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm enjoying my wife. That's what I'm doing. Oh, okay. Hey, bro, what are you? Who are you? Praise her in private and in public. Call and text her regularly just to chat. This hits me, right? So you guys met Troy a couple months ago. He was here. You know what Troy will do? You know what I, you know what I do, what, what, what he and I do? There are certain times of the day that he calls me, I know what that means. Hey, man, I'm driving home from work. He just wants to chat. Or I'll call him when I'm driving home from work. Yo, what's up, man? What's happening? We'll talk about the Chiefs. We'll talk about the Chiefs, and we'll talk about the Chiefs. <laughs> Especially this, after this last game. <laughs> Okay, cool. But I can do that with Lori. Hey, I'm on my way home. I figured I'd call you up. What's up? What are you doing? What are you wearing? Okay, I'm way over time, I'm sure. A husband who knows his wife will lead her spiritually. Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Christ is all about keeping his bride in his word and keeping his word in his bride. Brothers, you show me a wife who is in and out of church, and I'll show you a wife who is in and out of the word. Mark it down. And that reflects, listen, your very poor and irresponsible leadership. 
I applaud you ladies for sitting through what was probably two tough weeks in some spots. But in your defense, some of you can identify with the story of Deborah in Judges chapter 4. In response to Israel's cry for deliverance, God raised up two judges, Deborah and Barak, to deliver them. We pick it up in Judges 4 verse 6. And he sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kedesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and of the children of Zebulun, and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army with his chariots, and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. So Deborah's plan here was to lure Jabin's army to a place where Barak and his army could ambush them. But look at verse 8. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. What? You say, but wait a minute. Barak is in the, the faith hall of fame in Hebrews 11. So was Abraham. And his faith wasn't perfect, was it? And there are some others who are in there, and their faith wasn't perfect either. Deborah's response made it clear that Barak's faith and spiritual leadership were lacking. Look at verse 9. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Deborah wanted Barak to claim the honor as a man. <laughs> she did not want that honor to go to a woman. Brothers, some of you are punishing your wives by putting them in the dreadful position of spiritual leadership in your home because you simply refuse to grow up spiritually. This is a dreadful position for your wife. Dreadful. <laughs> She knows that this is not her place. She doesn't want to be there. But like Deborah, well, Barack, if you won't do it, somebody has to. Your children are unruly. They're dishonorable. Financially, things are a mess. Your wife is overwhelmed and things keep going from bad to worse. But you take no action. You provide no wisdom. And you give no direction. Unabashedly, I say, if that's you, that's spiritually criminal. God, have mercy on you and your poor wife. Finally, 
The husband who knows his wife will enjoy her physically. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. That sounds like a good time in marriage. A very good time. Brothers, you need to be all about your wife and she needs to know it. She needs to know that she still lights you up. She needs to know that she still has your eye. Not a woman on the internet. Not a woman in the office. Not the woman next door. So here we go. My time is up. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge myself. We've given you four specific areas if you're going to know your wife that you've got a master. So let's be men this week and let's take our wives out for coffee or whatever your date looks like. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It could be very simple. And here's what I want you to ask her about each one of these areas. Sweetheart, what would you like for me to know about each one of these areas? Sweetheart, what would you like for me to know about each one of these areas? I promise you she's going to answer. Decide right now. You're going to be a man and not get defensive, argumentative, justify. Here's what you do. If you're unclear, you just say, okay, I, I, I think I'm hearing what you're saying, but, but could you help me out a little bit more because I'm, I'm not sure I'm following you all together. I'm just seeking clarification, not seeking justification for my behavior. But once it is clear to you what she wants you to know about each one of these, you know what you say? Honey, thank you so much for sharing this with me. I want you to know by the grace of God, for the glory of God, and for your edification, I'm going to put my best foot forward to address these things. Please pray for me. So, I set you up earlier, because I knew this was coming. I asked how many ladies are going to bake night at the Whites? How many men are going to do this? Lord, thank you for your word. It is holy, it is precious, and it is good. Help us to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.